May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When I was a, um, a boy, my grandmother used to use these words that I don't think were real words. Um, they were like words that she stuck together and made them into words. They were sentences that sort of were conflated into words, like shoulder to the wheel was one word to my grandmother, you know, like, you just need to put your shoulder to the wheel and get in that, you know, and, and like work hard at it. Uh, nose to the grindstone was another one. You had your nose. I don't know. My grandmother never worked in a mill. Uh, you know, I don't know what she thought about nose to the grindstone. But if need be was a single word. Um, rough and tumble. Somebody in my grandmother's generation who designed playground equipment came up with the merry-go-round, you know, like swing, slide. And then we get this merry-go-round, three words stuck together as one, right? Um, and one of her favorites was this word "stick-to-itiveness," which is totally not a word. It's like a, it's like a, you know, a couple words stuck around a, a, a you know, some other version. Stick-to-itiveness. Oh, you know, you really need to have some stick-to-itiveness and get that stuff done. Okay, I think that I think I can figure that what that means. Um, when I lived in Kentucky, I picked up a couple versions of this. Um, my grandmother would have loved them. Um, used to could. Um, you know, you know this one used to could. Um, I can't run ten miles anymore, but I used to could. Um, yeah, uh, and there's another one. There's Mike could. Mike could. I, I still use this quite a bit. It works all the time. Like, I might could come by on Tuesday and help you out with that. You know, um, and people look at me like I'm strange, but it, it works. But another one that my grandmother had was good for nothing. You know. Joseph, you need to work hard in school. You don't want to grow up and be a good for nothing. It's like it's like a you know an idea. Like, don't be a good for nothing. You you want to you want to be good for something. You heard this one. This good for nothing. You know there are a lot of things that are good for nothing. You know I suppose I I don't know what they are. I I even feel like even the Pittsburgh Steelers give you something to despise. So they're not good for nothing. They're they're good for something. Yeah. Um, you know the Pittsburgh people will be letting me know later on today. Um, yeah, there's what my mother used to say, and I think this was a retort to her mother, that um, that no one's good for nothing. They always serve as a bad example. You know, like this is what not to do. Uh, good for nothing, though. I, I think there are people who push back against the Christian faith, against the idea of faith in general, and think that faith is good for nothing. That it's it's not valuable. It's 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 uh, it's superstition. It's um it's a uh, it's sort of a um a crutch to make it through a difficult life. You know, I, I heard a lot of this in philosophy class when um I was an undergraduate student. I had this uh, philosophy professor who was an avowed agnostic. He was um he was a decent person. I liked him quite a bit. Um, but he would always push against faith and pushed against the 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 essence of faith as being sort of pie in the sky. You know that sort of thing, and um. And, and so what is the use of faith? Is faith good for nothing or is faith good for everything? Is it essential? And the writer to the Hebrews in the, the New Testament lesson today seems to believe that faith is actually not only good for something, it is essential to life. It is at the core, the essence of what it means to live. In the beginning part of the chapter, he says that, that faith is necessary because without faith, it's impossible to believe, believe in God because whoever comes to God must believe that he exists. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is essential. It's necessary. And then he goes on in chapter 11, in the beginning part of chapter 12, and he explains to us all of these different examples of people who live by faith. And I think the first thing that he would say to us, the writer, 
um, is that, that faith is that by which we overcome obstacles. Now, faith isn't just a blind faith, faith in faith. Faith is actually, for the Hebrew writer, faith in the Almighty God. Faith in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the faith that is essential to the writer. But this faith can and indeed does overcome obstacles. Will you take your uh, bulletin and look at the lesson with me at at the very um, beginning of this part? Even before we get there to your part, listen to just kind of as I go through a a number of these lists. um, He begins in chapter 11, verse 4, by faith Abel. And then he goes on in verse 5, by faith Enoch. And then he moves on in verse 7, by faith Noah. In verse 8, by faith Abraham. And then by faith Sarah. And so on. He goes all the way through the story of the Hebrew people. And then in, um, in verse 29... By faith, people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. This is the story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt, right? Heading back to the promised land. They get to, uh, they get to the edge of the, um, of the Red Sea. And here comes the, the, uh, the Egyptian army pursuing to, to capture them and take them back as slaves. And they're caught between the army on one side and the Red Sea on the other. I remember um, teaching our children these stories when they were little. Uh, our son Zachary was must have been like four years old, and the, the the movie The Prince of Egypt. Do you remember this? This cartoon of of the story of the children of Israel came out, and it was in theaters. And so on a Saturday afternoon, Abby and I took the boys, and and like I said, Zach, who's 22 now, he was like four, and um, hard to believe that two decades like slipped by that quick. But anyway, he was he was a young boy, and and he knew this story, the story of the children of Israel uh, escaping through the Red Sea, and and so in the film. You have um, you have Pharaoh and the army pursuing the, the country, and here are all the people, and and they're standing there, and the music's getting louder and louder, and you can feel the tension between the army on one side and this impenetrable sea on the other. And, and as the music is is building towards a crescendo, Zach jumps up on his seat in the theater and yells at the top of his lungs, as if commanding Moses, "Put your stick in the water!" and and Moses listened, and he put the stick in the water. And Zach with a fist pump said, yeah, as the, as the waters parted. He knew. He knew the story. He knew what was going on. Put your stick in the water. Believe that God will act. This is, the, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. By faith, people acted boldly. You know, Moses and the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And, and then he goes on. Um, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. You remember this story? We're marching around. Seven days, not a word is spoken on the seventh day, seven times around, and nobody says a single word. Now, I don't know what group you've ever been in, but um, seven minutes is about it, you know, and somebody's speaking. But they do it seven days, and the seventh time, seven days, and and the, the priests blow the trumpet, and the walls come crashing down. They didn't lift a single armament to bring down those walls. They believed that God would, would fulfill His promise, and He did. And He goes on. Um, by faith, Rahab the prostitute, who's in the city of Jericho, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had offered hospitality to the Hebrew spies. People who believe in God have seen obstacles overcome. They've avoided execution. They have, they, they have had insurmountable obstacles um, surmounted. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? He asked. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith 
conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. He, a little, a little shout out to Daniel. Stop the mouths of lions. I'm going to pray to God. If it means I get tossed in the, in the den full of lions, they'll either eat me or God will stop their mouths. And Daniel does. And they don't eat him. By faith, people have overcome amazing obstacles. Obstacles that we could never possibly imagine being overcome in any other way. And if you live in this life more than ten minutes, you have some obstacle to overcome. You come into this world in a major obstacle. Just being born is a, is a real challenge. And if you live any longer, you'll have more. And you know what challenges they are right now. You know where they are, those things that are out in front and your mind kind of races around and, and, and gets around them. And how am I going to do this? How am I going to get past that? How is this going to work for us? I don't know what your obstacle is. I have obstacles. You don't know what they are. But we have them. We all have them. There's one way around these obstacles. Sometimes it recalls a miracle. It, it needs, oh Lord, if we're going to get through this, it's going to take a miracle. I think the Lord's answer is good. I'm in that business. Miracles are what I do. Faith can remove obstacles. But sometimes the miracle doesn't come, does it? Sometimes the storm comes. The one that you thought you couldn't make it through. And that's the other thing about faith. It not only can overcome obstacles, but it can withstand the storms. Sometimes the answer to our prayer is no. Sorry, that's not the answer. I'm not giving you that. You see, the, the Lord is not a genie in a bottle, right? We don't, we don't get to rub the bottle and say, oh, you know what, I need three wishes. Okay. The first one is for a thousand more wishes. Okay, and then after that, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> the Browns get a Super Bowl. Please tell me, if you guys get one wish, you'll give me that one, right? The Lord isn't a genie. We don't get to wish. And sometimes the answer to our prayer is no. Look at verse 36 in this text. All these great things, lions, mouths, stop, walls come crashing down. Women receive their dead by resurrection. Verse 35. Look at verse 36. First two words. Others suffered. Others suffered. They went through difficult things. What sort of difficult things? Mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned that doesn't mean like in Colorado. That means that somebody threw rocks at them, right, until they died. Um, they were sawn in two. This is tough. This is, um, this is rubber meeting the road sort of faith. Deny your faith and live. Or hold on to it and die. And there were many people, many, many people who chose the latter. I will hold on to my faith and I will die. You know that we named our youngest son um, Dietrich James. Dietrich after Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, um, a, a German pastor in the Second World War, who was hanged three weeks before his concentration camp was liberated. And he was hanged because as a pastor, he refused to relent to the Third Reich. 
he was a German who stood up against Germany and said, this is wrong. Sometimes st- saying that I'm going to stick to my faith could cost a lot. It could cost quite a bit. Faith absolutely can produce miracles, but sometimes faith is the only thing that can hold us firm in the full force of the face of evil. Faith in a God who can answer and can even do something after death in resurrection. Faith can withstand the storms. And lastly, I think the writer of the Hebrews would say that it also provides a compass for living. So in between the need for the miraculous and in between the need to withstand the the, the ultimate test is just the sort of day-to-day, you know, you know, uh, work a day, my grandma would like that word, work a day world. This, this regular sort of living of going through. And, and here is where the writer sort of changes and he offers us another metaphor. Look at chapter 12 then, verse 1. This is a really small right after verse 40 there. Um, having gone through this whole list of all these names, all these scenarios, all these different people, the writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... The image is that we're in um, an arena. Think Olympic Stadium. And the Olympic Stadium is filled with all these people who have gone before. Those who passed through the Red Sea, Abraham, Sarah, Enoch, all these people are there. They're all gathered around. Those who we do not know by name, but who have suffered martyrdom. And they're all watching us. And you, me, we're down on the field. And we are the contestants. We're the runners. This is the image. We are at a race. I don't know if anybody watched, uh, was watching the Olympics. Did you see Usain Bolt last night in a, just in a heat? I mean, this guy um, is this great runner from Jamaica. Unbelievably fast. I mean, he's almost as fast as me. It's incredible how quick he is. Um, and, and, you know, here he is, gets a bad start, but then, you know, takes off and, 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 and wins the, the, the heat and, and, and Dally will probably win a gold medal, well, at least one. Um, this is the image that the writer wants you to have. You are a runner. You are down on the field. The, the stadium is filled with all of these heroes of the faith. And they're looking at you. And they're looking at me. And they're watching us. So what's the advice, Hebrew writer? I'm glad you asked. Look at, look at the text. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Two things. Lay aside. I'm going to do it in reverse order. First of all, lay aside sin. It's destructive to us. It destroys our faith. It destroys our sense of well-being. It destroys peace in our hearts. And you know what it is. Whatever it is for you, lay it aside. Get rid of it. But also notice the other word he uses. Let us lay aside every weight. A weight is not a sin. He, he's distinguishing between these two. I don't think it's like a synonymous parallelism. I think, it's, I think it's two different things. Let us lay aside every sin, but also every weight. Everything that slows us down. I notice about these runners and the swimmers and everybody who competes for speed. They get rid of anything that slows them down. I mean, these guys shave their arms. They don't want like arm hair to like slow them down swimming in a pool. Um, th- their shoes are so light 
You know, you could put them on a scale. Remember when boys used to run cross country? You could, these shoes were so light, it was like wearing nothing. Like almost like you're barefoot with little metal spikes on the bottom of it. Get rid of everything that slows you down. I don't know what slows you down in your life of faith. You don't know what slows me down. But get rid of those things. They don't have to be, you know, directly sinful in themselves. If they are a weight, if they are slowing you down, get rid of it. Why? Because you want to run this race well. Uh, next Saturday, we're going to, this coming Saturday, we're running in this Warrior Dash. Do you, have, you've heard me talk about this. So a, a baker's dozen of us here are going to go down to, uh, to uh, Canton and run in this race. It's, um, it's, obst- it's a 5K, obstacles, climb through mud, you know, overtop fire, all these sort of things. Um, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, but... You know, when I was reading about what to do, what not to do, like, you know, don't wear clothing that can sat, that can soak up with mud because it gets really heavy. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. I never thought about that. You know, it, 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 come prepared to run. You're in a race. There's all kinds of people looking at you, people who have, who have given up their lives for the faith, and they're watching us. And the Hebrew writer says, let's run. And here's how you do it. With your eyes fixated on Jesus. We are going to run right after him. We are going to do the very things that we saw him do. We have the gospels. We know what kind of life he lived. We are going to do those things. We are going to fix our eyes on him. Like the the colic said, that he is an example of a godly life. We're going to run after him. Remember when I was a boy and I used to visit my grandmother down in um, Florida. I always wanted to go to the dog tracks because everybody went to the dog tracks. They would never let me go to the dog tracks. I thought it was not unfair. Um, but they had um, these greyhound dogs that would race, and they had this little mechanical rabbit, you know, that was on the inside of the thing, and all the dogs would chase the rabbit. That's what I really wanted to see. I wanted to see the rabbit going. I wanted to see the dogs. Their eyes are fixated on it. Maybe a bad analogy, but this is what we need to do. Fix our eyes on Jesus and run and run and run. Um, in, uh, in 19, was it 65? 1965, I think it was. Yeah, it was November 1965. Um, the, uh, there was a, a problem with the uh, power translators between um, Canada and the U.S. at Niagara Falls. It caused the largest power outage at that time in history. There were um, 80,000 square miles of New York State without power, without power up and down the coast in in New Jersey. Um, In the entire province of Ontario was without power in Canada. And it happened at 5.18 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon. Rush hour, New York City. All the subways came to a stop. There were people in the tunnel under the East River that were stuck. And they were stuck for 13 hours. There were 800,000 people in the subway system in New York City at a quarter after five on that Tuesday. And most of them were caught for 13 hours, stuck in a subway train or wherever and, and unable to get out. 200 planes had to be diverted away from the, the New York airports. It was a total shutdown. In that time... There were manufacturing plants. This is back in the day when the U.S. used to manufacture stuff. Anyway, there were manufacturing plants. A tire plant had 
$50,000 worth of tires that were completely destroyed because they were in the curing process. And they were, they had to be thrown away. Um, there was a, uh, a engine block company that had engines that were being drilled. The, the, the piston holes were being drilled at the very moment the power went out and they lost all of those motors for cars. They said that there were 300,000 loaves of bread that had to be thrown away just in the city of New York. Everything came to a halt because there was no power to drive the industry. Faith. Faith in the living God who's active and involved in our world is the engine, that is the, the power that drives us in life facing obstacles, in the face of, of difficulty, in the way that we guide our lives in the daily living. Without faith, not only is it impossible to please God, I think it's impossible to live at all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.